Thank you, Fresno First family. Good morning. And thank you for listening to the Lord and being gathered together through a spirit and not going on vacation or getting sick. <laughs> you know what? Um, I don't know if we want to. I know everybody's so accustomed to their regular seats. If anybody wants to feel uncomfortable, we can actually move forward and together a little bit. And that way there's not a chasm. There's some of you are looking at me going, Pastor? This is where I sit every Sunday, and that's okay, too. And if you're new, welcome. And I don't see anybody new here. So what I'll say is, welcome to you faithful. Eric, hey, can you fill out a connection card and then stick it in the back? Hey, you know what? If you do have any more, if you would, if you could update your information, if you have anything, uh, we would really appreciate it. And with that, let's go to the Lord. This is people of... Oh, awesome. Heavenly Father, you are full of compassion. You are full of mercy. You are full of grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we are not alone, that you are here, and we recognize your presence among us. Thank you, Jesus, for your body that walks with us and beside us, especially when we need a shoulder, a hand, an ear, or a heart when we're facing challenging times. Thank you for always providing just enough for us to endure and persevere. And thank you for making us on purpose and for purpose. Lord, we ask that, that you forgive us when we act like God's people and grumble against each other and against you. And help us to forgive those that uh, grumble against us and act out against us. We ask your blessing um, among our community and within our community for your healing and comfort and your presence to be near Please be with our leaders, and um, please lead us as we connect, grow, and serve, following you. And in your name we pray, amen. And if you could, please stand and enter into the throne room and worship in song. For this is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. So may we have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that are open and looking up to the heavens as God opens them up, pours his grace upon us, and as we look eagerly for Christ's return.
Seven, four. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. There's some, that's my favorite psalm, and there's something so powerful about that, that our hearts would yearn and seek, that we would dwell, abide, tent in the presence of God and gaze upon his beauty. May we begin now and let his beauty and glory transform us each and every moment as we worship.
Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing His praise. We were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the We shout your praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout your praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is shining in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout your Eleventh of this year, the Pajaro community of, in California was completely evacuated due to a breach in the levee. It was during those storms that we had earlier this spring, and the initial breach was only a hundred feet wide. But within two days, that breach of the Pajaro River grew to four hundred feet wide, completely flooded this small rural community and over by the California coast. And, and in nearby Watsonville, the Church of the Nazarene had developed connections with organizations and charities that were willing to help. The staff pastor, um, Banta, shared, we opened our doors and that's pretty much where it began. The church stepped in and offered to help and that's pretty much all we've been doing. And since then, the Church of the Nazarene in Watsonville became the hub and the center of collection for the Pajaro community receiving clothes, hygiene products, essentials to, to, re, to allow people to re-enter into their homes and to replace all that was lost. According to Banta, they were serving up to 300 people five days a week for over two months. It was the only place that those who were evacuated had to go for food, for shelter, for water. Banta went on stating, as long as the church has been here, the church has been a church for the community. And they're always looking for ways and reasons to do what they can for those in need in the community. And we're just continuing that work. And even as the water subsided and the residents became, uh, went back to their homes, the church was looking for new ways to, to develop community relations and, and to meet the needs of the community, both to be Christ-like and also to set as an example. And so this morning, we're praying for the Church of the Nazarene in Watsonville, as well as the Pajaro community. Lord, we thank you for your body, for opening up the eyes and the ears and the hearts of your people to the needs of those around them. Lord, when, when everybody um, was evacuated and, and they had no place to go, 
Your body saw that and responded. Your body communicated and took care of and through you, Lord, making those connections, they brought you glory. They example what it is to be your church. They example what it is to be your hands and feet. Lord, and, and may me um, learn from that example to be creative and open with our eyes, hearts, and, and ears. Lord, we ask that you bless Watsonville and the Paro community. Please bless those residents that were evacuated, that even now as they go through the devastating effects months later of, of that evacuation and those floodings, Lord, please be with them and know that your presence is near. Please continue to inspire Watsonville and, um, and bless their efforts to your glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you please stand as we continue to worship in song? John 14, 27, Jesus says to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, may my, pe- uh, my peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Christ alone is our foundation of our lives. He is our faith. He is our God. He's our Messiah. He's our Savior. He's, he's our Redeemer. And um, He's our Deliverer. He is our peace when we are in times of suffering, and He is our strength when we are in fear. Let His Spirit that He gives us and the peace that He shares with us enliven our hearts as we sing in Christ alone, looking to Him and Him alone.
Philippians 9, 2, 9 through 11. God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on the earth, under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, it's upon Jesus that we build our life. When we're going through seasons of difficulty, seasons of victory, seasons of life, we built it upon the foundation of Christ. And when we do so, we know that whatever we're facing is under his authority, was under his lordship that needs to confess him as Lord and needs to bow to him. And in that, we find strength, we find perseverance, and we find endurance. And it increases our faith. It reminds us that everything we do is worthy of worshiping of God. The conversations we have, what we do at home, what we do at work, what we do in play, everything is worthy. Should, everything needs to be worthy of the authority and name of Jesus. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever say Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you
Father, we put our trust in you alone. We build our lives upon you alone. And in you, we will not be shaken. You may be seated. And Janelle, I invite you to come up. So joy is my favorite word. It is. It's been that way my entire life. There's something about once you get God inside of you, the joy just bubbles up out of you. 
It can get you through the hardest things in your life. I've been through some really hard spots, been through some wonderful spots. But joy, you just have to reach down deep inside of you sometimes and grab that joy. So I love that song, there's joy in the house of the Lord. And I want us to be a people of joyful giving. All right, so let's pray for offering. God, you're amazing, and you're so glad that only you, only you can fill us with the joy that could just get us through so many things, as Pastor was just referring to. And God, I pray right now that you will bless the money and the tithe that we are about to give, Lord, the tithing of our time. And God, I just pray right now that you will just surround this church with your, with your love. Help us to rejoice in all that we do for you and everything that you're going to do through us, God. And we praise you in your name. Amen.
I, I think I do need the microphone, you know, I'm sorry. Um, good morning, everybody. Got a few announcements here. Um, Pastor Steve, I'm going to go with yours first because it's my brain and forgetting. Um, so the senior lunch is moved to this Tuesday at the Chico's at 1130. Okay, got that right. Perfect. Now I can move on. <laughs> um, we've got basics Bible study on Wednesday from 6 to 7. Um, in person, online, I will say that I very much appreciate being able to join online. Pastor uh, makes it really easy. And um, if you can make it in person, I would try it. But online is great too, so we've got that. And uh, family life groups, Sunday mornings from 9.30 to 10.30. Don't forget about that. And then that's here at the church. Um, and Pastor Chad is leading that. Um, and then prayer meeting Tuesday morning from 9 to 10. That's both in person and online. And then last is going to be hot dogs and hangout. That's going to be with Pastor Jason and Miss Shelley. That's going to be June the 25th from 5 to 7 at their house, grades 7 to 12, and bring swim trucks. The pool is, is pretty awesome. So, did I get it? I think you nailed it. Thank you. And, you know, I really want to encourage everybody. Um, the mission of, of, of our church, Fresno First, is connect, grow, and serve. That we're a family community church for all generations. And that connecting, growing, and serving means that um, it ends up a, having a tertiary effect in all areas of our life. And small groups is a big part of that. So Wednesday night, I know we call it a Bible study, but it's really a small group. I, mean, I just encourage everybody to just give it an opportunity to invest into that. And if you can't make it in, you can go online. If you have issue getting online, let me know, and I'll, walk, I'll go to your house and help you out. I mean, we'll walk through this. And then for Sunday morning, Pastor Chad's doing an amazing time of, of devotionals and Bible studies and family life group. And then also on our, uh, our prayer time, our prayer time is both in person here and, and also on online. And you can just, you can phone in, you can video in, and you can be a part of this very, the, our prayer time is very powerful, very powerful. And it goes from nine to 10. And it's, it's, it's one of those things during the week that actually feeds my soul and helps me to maintain a, a good balance in life and because we're going to the Lord together. It reminds us that we're not alone, that we go to God as his people and as his persons. And so with that, if you have your Bibles and apps, we're going to be in, the, in James chapter 5, 7 through 11 today as we begin to wind down. It's today and we got one more. Uh, next week we're going to Father's Day, but the last Sunday of the month, we're gonna, it's going to be the last one in James and we're going to start a new series. of, you know, So let's finish well with our faith in action. And as you turn your Bibles to James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, uh, I want to share that, okay, there was two farmers, and they were looking over the dry land <clears throat> that, uh, and the fields without much hope. There had been a drought in the previous year, and their bank accounts had dried up just as much as the land in front of them. They looked to each other, they discussed it, and they found out by doing some research that the coming year was going to even be a worse drought. And there was really no known hope of, of rain to be coming. 
The farmers turned their faces to heaven. They prayed to God, and they did so with faith that God would bring rain. And the weeks passed, and the forecast didn't change. There was still no rain. And, and if you ask both farmers, they would both say they prayed by faith, and they trusted that God would hear their prayers and would bring the rain. But there's only one farmer that took his faith into action. One of those farmers plowed his field. He sowed the seeds. He invested into a unknown future. In fact, a future that others said that were hopeless. And in time, God answered both of the farmer's prayers. God brought rain. But only one farmer reaped the harvest. And, and the reason is that because whatever the world was saying, this farmer knew and trusted God enough to invest in a future that revealed his faith. He believed that he could go ahead and give his, the seeds in his hands over to the hands of God. And through prayer and trust, that God would deliver and hand a harvest. You see, in difficult times, it can be a real challenge for us to faithfully sow our seeds into God's kingdom. And those seeds could be time, it could be talents, it could be gifts, it could be investments, it could be relationships. Sometimes we're, we're so afraid of not having enough and we want to hold on to our circumstances because we don't know what the future holds or the future looks bleak or we're just stuck. That we hold on to our circumstances, we hold on to our pain, we hold on to our resentment, we hold on to our fear, and we need to remember and maintain a relationship with God that is in constantly letting go. We don't have to hold on to those things. We let go. We let God. We pray, and we let our faith take action with our hands and our feet. We enter into an uninterrupted, uninterrupted cycle of letting go, and, and we let go, and if we find ourselves picking up, we let go again, and we keep letting go until we stop picking it up. And see, while the world tells us that we need to hold back, that we need to self-preserve, um, that we need to think of ourselves first, God says, just let go and trust me. And that's tough, and that's what we're talking about today. So if you could please stand, we're, um, we're going to be in James chapter 5, 7 through 11. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too. Be patient and stand firm, because the Lord, Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke that in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as a blessed, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard Job's perseverance and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This has been the word of the Lord. And all of God's people said, thanks be to God. You may be seated. See, God's people are going to experience suffering. And our text this morning challenges us to endure and persevere in suffering. And it's important to note that, that the suffering and persevering in our passage this morning is, 
has purpose. You know, God doesn't allow suffering without grace, and it's by his grace that, that we persevere with purpose to produce a harvest of holiness. And James is writing, remember, to these persecuted Christians that are, that are scattered around in the region and that made up his original congregation in Jerusalem. And, um, and also we remember that we don't take text out of context and we don't take verses or a passage without the context in which it is in Scripture. And, and our passage today is bookended. It, has, it speaks against those that are persecuting the laborers and causing suffering. And it goes into praying by faith for healing and overcoming suffering. You see, the, um, James is encouraging the believers that to persevere in times of suffering, to refocus their attention not on their present circumstances, but on Christ and Christ alone, who has promised to come back. And that's tough. And James begins this passage with some very hard truths and some not-so-great news. In verse 7 and 8, James says twice, be patient. Be patient. Be patient. The thing is, the people that James is writing to are at the end of their patience. They're at the end of their, they're at their wits end. They have zero patience left. And I don't know about you, but when I get to my wits end, and somebody says, be patient, it's the last thing I want to hear. I've been patient. I've been suffering. Do something, God. But being patient isn't going to fix what I'm feeling inside. And Justin, could you turn the air on? <clears throat> Thank you. See, the thing is, when James is addressing the patience, he's, he's directly referencing the verses, the passage prior. And we read in verse 4, look, the wages you... Speaking to the landowners, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. See, the one that James is calling to persevere with purpose, persevere with, uh, while suffering, are those workers and those harvesters that are facing insurmountable odds. Those that are being taken advantage of. Those that are marginalized. Stripped of their financial security, humiliated, possible facing legal troubles, bringing tragedy upon their households and their homes, casting their future into a sense of unknown. And to them, James reinforces the importance of patience. And James also states, be patient, be patient and stand firm. And this is key. This is key because we don't understand it the way that James's first readers understood it. So let's go ahead and, and take some context back into this. James's readers were, were primarily Jewish believers, right? They knew the Old Testament. The, Old, the New Testament wasn't written yet. So they, when you, they spoke of scriptures, they spoke on the prophets. They're speaking of the Old Testament. And James right here says, stand firm. What they heard was an image of the Old Testament, of God's people, the nation of Israel. They're standing on the edge of the Red Sea. 
Pharaoh's army is, is coming headstrong right at him. It's a no-win situation. They're either going to die by drowning, they're going to die by the sword. There's no way out. And God speaks to Moses. Exodus 14, 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. That's what James is saying to these people that are suffering. Be patient and stand firm. Stand firm in your no-win situation. Stand firm in a situation that only God can deliver you from because you cannot save yourself right now. And the thing is, that's also not so great news, is it? There's no time frame when God's going to deliver them from their suffering. I know when I'm suffering, when I feel like I'm drowning, I want to stopwatch. Because I feel every single second. And when someone says, just hang in there, Jason, stand firm. God will take care of it. When? When's God going to take care of this? Because I've been praying. I've been waiting. I've been meditating. I'm being as patient as I possibly can through the Holy Spirit. Thank God for God. But it comes a time when I don't want to be patient. I want to be impatient. I don't want to stand firm. I want to throw a tamper tantrum. Because life sometimes doesn't go my way. And it's not fair. And that's easier said than done. You know, imagine if, if you faced being laid off. The wages you were supposed to get paid were kept. The bills are due. The kids are sick. The bills are stacking up and you've got no savings and then someone says stand firm standing firm can be sound pretty frightening in those type of situations and this is exactly the type of situation James is addressing and in this James is stating that there's going to be times or that the church is in this time between this planting of the field and then this, this harvest at the Lord's return, that they need to have the patience of a farmer and rely on the, on the autumn rains and the spring rains to water the crop and to recognize that the harvest is coming. And James is encouraging and saying, be observant. Trust God. He has never failed you. Christ did come, and Christ will come again. That's who you stand firm upon. You don't stand firm on your situation. You stand firm on Christ's promises that he will come again, that he will right everything that's wrong, and he will make all things new. You can trust God to fulfill his promises. He is with you. He is with us. Be patient. Rely on him. You're not alone. You know, and, and in that, I, I began to, to imagine, you know, there's two types of patience that we got here. One of them is a, is a passive type of patience with a lethargic and, and inactive and, and it borders on being fatalistic. It reminds me of that Winnie the Pooh character, Eeyore. All right? I lost my tail again. Doesn't matter what I do anyway. 
What will be will be. I can't do anything, so why bother to do anything at all? I'll just sit here. That's a type of patience. That's the type of patience of the one farmer that didn't plant his field. That's the type of patience that we idly watch everybody else plant their crops and sow their seeds in faith. You know, when we are patient like this, just like Eeyore, we have a tendency to get impatient. We have a tendency to grumble. And when, when that happens, James addresses that. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. Because this type of grumbling is the same type of grumbling that the nation of Israel did against God and did against Moses, did against each other. So when James says don't grumble again, he goes back and strikes in the heart to the very core of God's people that are reading this. Be patient. Wait on God. Stand firm. God will deliver you. And don't grumble like your ancestors did. It didn't do them any good, and it's not going to do you any good. In fact, it's going to do you harm. You know, because this type of grumbling expresses itself as as blaming, anger, resentfulness, fear, gossip, and hostility. And all those things that tear us down as people, tear those around us as God's body, causes division instead of unity, and has us turn our back on God and face our circumstances and dwell. It also, that type of grumbling is the type of grumbling that judges other people. It's associated with blaming others for our present circumstances, instead of relying upon Christ and his return, who is the judge of all and will do the judging. Let go. Let go. That type of grumbling comes from a critical spirit. It's more focused on what is wrong with our lives and what is wrong with the lives of everybody around us. It's more focused on the problems than on the solutions. It's more focused on given up than persevering with purpose, waiting for Christ's return to make things right. You know, and in this life, we're going to experience tragedy and suffering. And, and none of us here are without experiencing tragedy or suffering in our lives. And nowhere in Scripture does it state that those that follow Jesus are going to be without trouble. Free from tragedy, free from suffering, free from pain. In fact, a lot of times the Scripture says the exact opposite, doesn't it? So when we do suffer, guess what? We can expect it. You know, and like those, those that James addresses in our tech, we are not immune to hardship. I was told that there's two seasons in life. And I said, is it hunting and fishing? They said, no, Jason, it's not hunting and fishing. <clears throat> there are those seasons of difficulties. There are those seasons between difficulties. Those are the two seasons in life. And what you do during those seasons can either mature your faith or cause us to shirk back from it. You know, and when this occurs, we need to heed the words of of James and his pastoral wisdom and, and be patient. Be patient and stand firm. 
And when I get a real practical way for me, and I'm just going to just share openly, when I get to the point where I have no more patience and I don't want to stand firm, I really like the short version of the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You know, the thing is, though, in those times of things we cannot change, I become impatient. I become impatient in those times of, of illness, of hardship, of broken relationships, of injustices, you know, any number of reasons, those things I cannot change, those things that are beyond my control that I have to give up. You know, and when, depending on what it is, we can be, feel marginalized in those situations. We can feel stripped of our financial security. We can experience loss. We can experience brokenness, humiliation, possible legal trouble, tragedy in our household and homes. You see, think about when everything's going great in our life and, and we feel like we're on the top of the mountain and, and then we're called to just wait for a short time. You go to the DMV or any line. You got to wait for a couple hours. Doesn't take long for our patience to go ahead and get stretched, for us to go ahead and grumble, and for us to say things against other people that we might not necessarily like said about us. And that's a short time. What James is addressing is long suffering. And do you know why they call it long suffering? Because you suffer for a long time. Kind of self explanatory. But that's the long and the short of it. So what do we do in those situations? James is encouraging us to trust God and grace patience that is an active, like the farmer that planted the crops, to do the hard work, to put the effort into tilling the ground of our lives, which means that we're getting down to the very foundation of life. That we plant seeds. That means we begin to invest into our present circumstances now, even though we have an unknown future or a future that says it's nothing but drought. We cultivate the land, and, and that means we begin to address the parts in our life that, that, need to be, that need to be cultivated. They need to be turned over. And this is the smelly, the dirty, and the thankless work, but it's the necessary work of the harvest. It means that we need to go ahead and get all in, it, to check our motives, check our hearts, to check out and pull those weeds out that choke out our spirits or choke out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And when we're doing the weeding, it's done in those quiet moments. It's done in those still moments of being still and knowing that God is God and, and praying without ceasing and, and having His Word and knowing that we're not alone. You're not alone. And you're suffering. Because we're going to experience it. Winston Churchill has a, has a pretty good saying. That says when you find yourself in hell, keep walking. Because that's what sometimes long suffering feels like. You don't give up. You hold on to Christ. You look to God. First, last, and always. 
And as we go, we don't face our suffering. We look at God who's coming back, who's going to restore all things, make all things new, wipe the tears from our eyes, heal our hearts, deliver us from our suffering, deliver us from our tragedy, and make us whole. And that's a promise from the Lord. That only can happen if we persevere. I belong to an organization that they have a saying, they go, just wait for the miracle. Wait for the promise to come true. Wait for the miracle. When we persevere with purpose, we're not just waiting on nothing. We're waiting for the miracle. We're waiting for the promise. We're waiting on God. And I think God deserves that. A little bit of waiting a little bit of patience, and a little bit of standing firm in Him. You see, we are to stand firm in our belief that Christ will return and deliver us from the pains of this life. Stand firm that our present challenges is not the end, nor the sum of the total of everything that's wrong with our life. We are to stand firm that God is near and suffers with us, that Jesus knows the suffering that we've been through because He suffered as well. We stand firm that we don't suffer alone, that we do so together as a family of God that we stand firm in the character of God, actively waiting, actively growing, actively maturing in our faith, and actively participating together as the body of Christ. You see, when Moses told the Israelites on the edge of the, the Red Sea to stand firm, they didn't do it as a bunch of individuals. They did it as God's people. They held on to God. They held on to each other. They didn't face their circumstances. They didn't look at, they didn't face Pharaoh's army. They faced forward to the promise of God that he can and will deliver them. And it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all parts are glad. We cannot get away from each other, no matter how hard we try, if you belong to the body of Christ. You could go to Antarctica. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're still family. And you can't get away from God. You know, just bringing it really home, you know, in the last couple of weeks, that those bitwise layoffs. You know, I, and I just want to say I've heard amazing things about the CEOs that they invested into the Fresno County. They've invested into businesses. They've um, offered opportunities for small businesses, for growth, for education, for training, for the future stuff. And they made some very bad financial decisions. You know, I, I'm going to honestly say, and this is something I learned, that I would trust that they didn't stay up all night trying to figure out how they can make other people suffer. I, don't, I think they, they stayed up all night trying to do the best they could. It just didn't work out. But it would it'd be hard to be laid off like that and not to cast blame, to not judge, to not grumble, to not be resentful, to not become angry at the situation. I think anybody who's in that situation would become unnerved and unraveled. That is a fact and reality of life. The circumstances that James is speaking of is to be patient affects is directly relates to this to be patient but also to be examples of patience see it's one thing to be patient but it's also to 
to be patient to get through something, but there's also the importance and understanding and the responsibility as a Christ follower to be patient as an example of patience. You see, to, to stand firm, to stand together, to not pull in and insulate, and that those that are suffering don't do alone, that, that we would allow ourselves to be embraced in our suffering by the local body. That we'd be open, honest, transparent, and say, I'm suffering right now, and I need help. And when we do that, when we're patient in these circumstances, and we example patient, we become a witness to believers that God will deliver. We become a, a witness to reveal real hope of deliverance to those that don't know Christ. But we need to endure. We need to be patient. And we need to actively work as servants and trust that our labors are given over to God's hands. We do the work and we trust Him with the results. And when we do, we are persevering with purpose. See, we've already looked at one type of purpose, that apathetic passive purpose that sows seeds of intolerance and hate and resentment and discontent. But there's this other type of purpose that James is talking about with the farmer who waits for the, for the land to yield a valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Patiently that trusts God who is willing to actively persevere with purpose. See, this this type of patience doesn't just sit back and say, God, you got it. Just do all the work and let me know when it's done. And then I'll step in. I'll take over. This type of patience that works in cooperation with the Holy Spirit that is not afraid to do the heavy work that our faith requires when we put our faith into action. It's like the farmer. This patience involves the groundwork, investing in seeds, and then planting the seeds by faith without knowing the future. It involves nurturing the crop with water, the weeding, being mindful of the pests and, and being aware of our surroundings, of, of those things that become threats to this crop. And in the midst of persevering, this type of patience actively waits for God to send the rains to signal and bring forth the harvest. This is the type of patient that re, regardless of what the world says, regardless of whatever of the evidence of everything that is before him says, no, I trust God and I'm all in. I'm not going to hold anything back. And I will not be moved or, or shaken from the foundation upon which I stand, which is in Christ alone. This type of patience prays without ceasing. It doesn't cast blame for their tragic circumstances, either on God or other people, and takes responsibility for themselves and their space. It doesn't grumble. It works the fields of service and it does so in faith with an understanding that the fruits of our labors and the size of, our, our, of that harvest are in God's hands alone and we can't control it. This type of patience really is the type that the Apostle Paul spoke of in Philippians 4, 12-13. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do this through Him who gives me strength. I don't know about you, but I'm not that patient of a man. But I've got a patient God. And through His Spirit living within me, I have access to that patience if I'm willing to go ahead and stand firm on Him. See, but this type of patience requires us to persevere 
without knowing what we may face around the corner tomorrow or the next day. That our strength comes from focusing on Christ and His return rather than the obstacles and challenge that we're facing. And some say, that I've heard it said, and we, I've said it too, is that there's no coincidence in the kingdom of God because God does all things with purpose. And therefore, that we know with understanding that God creates things on purpose. He creates things for purpose, which means that when we are persevering in our suffering, we can do so with purpose. Persevering with purpose refines our character, it builds our faith, it, re- it matures our walk with Christ and with others, it reinforces unity. And it allows us to invest in others and open ourselves up to be invested into by others. And in this, this entire passage points squarely and directly upon the promise of God in Christ's return. Even though we're suffering now, it's not the end. And and we can know because God is not done. Our suffering is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the book. God has another chapter for those that put their faith in Him at Christ's return that, that we will know the fullness of life and life and the wholeness and we will be in the presence of God. There's more to the story. Who was it that said the other part of the story? The commentator? And this is the rest of the story. And that's the rest of the story. And even with the farmer who's an amazing example of patience, there's a greater example of patience. And that is God Himself. We are to be patient because God is patient. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but want everyone to come to repentance. And why do we patiently endure suffering? Why persevere with purpose? Why do we stand firm for God to deliver us as He delivered His people they were in a no-win situ- their no-win situation on the edge of the Red Sea. See, we know that God makes promises and we know He's faithful to His promises. And God is not slow in our suffering. He's not, suff- He's not having us suffer for the suffering's sake to cast more misery on us, to punish us, or just do a divine thumb and grind us into the ground. He's patient with us. He's compassionate. James says he's merciful and compassionate with us. And that means he's merciful merciful and compassionate with all of creation. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He understands our suffering and is with us. Persevering with purpose allows us to live into the promises of God, to learn more and more each day, to trust God more and a little more, and a little more. And it also reminds us as we wait that we got work to do as we wait for Christ's return. To plant seeds of the gospel. To tend to the soil of discipleship. To water ourselves and others with the Word of God. Small groups. Small groups. And to remove the weeds that choke our faith. Prayer. Connecting with other believers watching what influences you and what influences you allow into our lives. 
And persevering with purpose yields a, a harvest of holiness if we will endure and persevere through our suffering and not give up on God, on God's people. We won't give up on our family and friends, and we won't give up on ourselves. Our witness in times of, of persevering and suffering give testimony both inside and outside the body of Christ. It reminds those that are suffering with us that they're not alone in their, in their suffering and that we can faithfully endure when we focus on, on Jesus and not our problems. It allows those that are outside the church that, that don't have any hope whatsoever that they can trust God and that there is an alternate ending to their suffering. You see, the world is watching how we persevere with our suffering. Think about it. Businesses, associates, friends. You're going through suffering. And in that, and how we respond in our suffering will either challenge the world's conception of Christ and say that He is truly God, that I trust Him to deliver Him, that I'm going to be patient and I'm going to stand firm and I'm not going to grumble. Or it's going to reinforce the thought of the world that says that, that God is cruel and allows suffering because of His pleasure. How we respond will either challenge or affirm what people think of our God. That's a weighty responsibility for us, but that is our responsibility as His body. How we respond to suffering reveals to the world how we view God. It's easy to give it lip service. It's another thing to actually put it into practice. And that's a hard thing of discipleship and following Jesus. And we need to remember that we persevere through suffering together. I once read that patience is a virtue in, in times of ease and a lifesaver in times of suffering. And James shares we do not suffer together. And he points to the example of the prophets that suffered, that when we find ourselves suffering and we persevere, we can do so with the knowledge that we are not alone. And like the prophets, we can count ourselves blessed and blessed in our suffering. Remember, James is influenced by his half-brother Jesus. And Jesus says this almost the exact same thing at the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount, that blessed are those that are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we persevere with purpose, we can know that we are blessed by God, but it might not feel like it but we are being refined more and more into his image. The more we're patient and the more we stand firm on Christ, the more we're blessed. The more God changes us moment to moment, day by day, week to week, month to month, year by year. And the thing is, we can look closely at these words that James uses, and he doesn't use a singular you to indicate that we're suffering alone. He uses the we to suffer together. And then James offers this example of Job, who remained faithful even though that he suffered greatly. His body is wrecked, wrecked with pain. He's mentally and emotionally in a state of agony. His friends and his family, they blame him. And he's lost everything he values in this world. And I'm sure at some point 
if we asked everybody to raise their hand, if you can identify with any of that, every hand would be raised. Yet Job refused to turn his back on God. Instead, he turned his back on his suffering and he faced God because Job was not passive. Job was active. He took, he did not take his suffering as a form of divine punishment. He went straight to God with his suffering. He said, God, what's going on? And he didn't take it calm. He didn't take it laying down. He didn't have a very accepting temperament. Job was just a regular guy. But he persevered through his frustration with God. Even when God wouldn't answer his questions, he would still go to God and just say, why is this happening? Job constantly held on to God. And it's noteworthy to, reason, to, to share that God never gives Job a reason why he suffered. But God revealed Job's character to Job. He revealed that Job was faithful, the Job that endured, and he recognizes that Job went to God and never turned his back on him. And when we need to hear this sometimes, because sometimes when in our suffering, when we're looking for answers, there are no answers. Sometimes they aren't the answers we want, and sometimes they aren't the answers we look for. But the, but the truth of the matter is we need to hold on to God tight and never let go. We need to fix our focus on God and not on our circumstances. We need to persevere and be patient. And we can understand that it, we're still, and it's okay to get frustrated. Frustration is not a salvation issue. Frustration is just a life issue. Like Job, we sometimes endure pain in our bodies, agony in our minds and our emotions. Sometimes we feel abandoned by those closest to us, and sometimes we just get frustrated. And like Job, we need to remember not to give up, that we persevere with a purpose that transforms us more and more into the image of Christ by His Spirit and to His glory. And we do so as brothers and sisters in Christ, His body, His beloved as we suffer together, remind one another to rely on God, to rely on His mercy, rely on His compassion, and to seek His strength to see us through. So, this is one of the, my favorite passages of Scripture because of the reality that James shares. We are going to suffer, and we do have a choice to suffer and persevere with purpose or to just lay down and give up. So our challenge this week, what areas in life are you experiencing long suffering? Are you going to God for strength or relying on your own? And what is one proactive action that you can take this week as you persevere with purpose? Would you please stand for a blessing? And so our ascending this morning, it, it comes from a prayer that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, um, and it's called the Prayer of Peace. And it's a prayer for those that are actively suffering and, and persevering with purpose, that it refocuses our minds, not on our circumstances, but onto God and the sufferings of others, because we don't do it alone, and we need to remember that others don't suffer alone as well. 
So as I pray, would you just open your hand, put your cup, your hands out to receive this prayer to be written on your heart. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To love, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in a dying that we are born to eternal life. As you connect, grow, and serve in your communities, examples of peace and persevering with purpose. You are sent. Amen.